Welcome to This Is Us podcast. I'm your host, Thomas Hansen, and my wife and I have the honor of serving alongside an amazing team as lead pastors of Hillsong Church in Denmark and Malmö. This podcast is a collection of short episodes regarding life, leadership, and culture. If you haven't done so already, please click follow and subscribe. And as always, if you find this to be valuable, feel free to share it with others. Welcome to This Is Us, and um, it's good to have you guys here. I wanted to share a thought today. You know, it's the, I did this, um, shared this thought as a sermon uh, recently in our church and thought that this would be a, a good thing to share on the podcast as well. So I hope that you will take this on and that it will encourage you and empower you. And I was thinking of this whole topic as the world started to rebuild you know, after Corona, and I know that there's certain parts of the world that are still rebuilding, and I guess we're still rebuilding. Um, but it just, it was interesting that there was one sector of the world that just didn't bounce back and haven't bounced back yet in the same way that pretty much every other sector in society has. You know, restaurants are full, nightclubs are full, stadiums are full, concerts are full. Uh, it's incredible. And, you know, work is back, you know, largely, um, but globally, there seems to be a trend that the church is the only sector in society that's not back yet. Why is that? You know, let's take away for a moment the, the obvious answer of that there is a spiritual challenge going on, spiritual war going on of, of really gathering the church. But I also wanted to ask, is there more to church than just a physical gathering? I think um, the the season of Corona and COVID, it's, you know, it really caused a lot of us over the last few years to think more about what church is and isn't than ever before. Why do we gather? Why do we build? Why not just meet online? You know, why not, you know, why continue the, the hard times of building what can, you know, often just feel like building an embassy behind enemy lines? What is church? I think one of the best descriptions of church is home. But what turns a house into a home? Because one thing is to have all the facilities and uh, the parts that build a house. But anyone knows that's walked through an empty house that isn't occupied by a family. It's just a house. It's bricks, mortar. It's, it might be nice. It might look like it, it has potential. But what makes it a home is more than just all the utilities and the physical framework. God says in Isaiah 66.1, Heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. Where's this house that you will build for me? Where will my resting place be? I've stolen today's uh, title, if you will, from the late Rabbi Jonathan Sachs, who titled one of his books the same, which was The Home We Build Together. Lately in my daily Bible reading, I've been reading the book of Exodus. And for those of you new to the story, the Israelites, they've been slaves in Egypt for 430 years, and God was now bringing them out. I mean, if you want more context about this, go see the movie Prince of Egypt. Um, I was about to sing A Whole New World, but that's not Prince of Egypt. That's that's Aladdin. Um, what is the song from Prince of Egypt? It's um, that's, I know this is distracting and it's not helping at, at, at all the flow of this message, um, but it is... I can't remember. But... Anyways, while the actual exodus, the bringing out of Egypt was dramatic, you know that song's going to pop up sometime soon in my head. In the middle of it, I'm going to sing it. I'm going to belt it out. 
But while the exodus, the bringing out of the people from Egypt was dramatic, the bigger task was still ahead of them. You see, God was bringing them out of Egypt, but the desert, the wilderness, was about getting Egypt out of them. Think about it. For 430 years, the people had only thought as slaves, when you, there can be miracles, when you believe, our hope is strong and hot. That's the one. Anyways, for 430 years, the Israelites had only thought of slaves. Think about it. No freedom, no dreams, no rights, no right to dream. Their parents had been slaves. Their grandparents had been slaves. Their kids had been slaves. Their grandkids had been slaves. There had just been generation after generation of slavery. And suddenly they were tasting this newfound freedom. They, but they, what they hadn't understood was that God was taking them on a journey to become a nation that would build a society that would eventually birth and nurture freedom, teach freedom, raise children with a new mindset. This wasn't just going to be given to them. I was reading about Alexis de Tocqueville, who was a French political theorist, historian, and politician. And um, he's often considered to be the first modern social scientist. And in the 1830s, Alexis, he warned uh, that a people can be oppressed through welfare. I mean, obviously, that, that made my ears spike up, you know, living in Scandinavia. But that welfare, there is the, the, the challenge of welfare is that we can abdicate and hand over all responsibilities of the common good to the state. And as a result, each person only thinks of themselves. Think about the Israelites as they were walking in the wilderness. Instead of being a grateful nation, they actually became a grumbling nation. And then something interesting happened. In the middle of the desert, God he instructs them to build a tabernacle. I mean, at this point in history, they wouldn't build a temple made of stone, but a tabernacle. It was a tent. It was called a meeting tent. And this is where God he would meet with his people. But why in the world did God ask them to build a tabernacle in the wilderness? I mean, I'm not talking about you know, a little tent that you just flick open and it just stands like the ones that you see pop up on your ads on the algorithm. I'm talking about a massive construction. Here they, they, you know, leading a million people through the wilderness. There's animals, there's children, there's children acting like animals. There, you know, there's, it's all happening for 40 years. And in the middle of that, God is saying, hey, build me a home. Why is that? Well, partly it's because what it would do in them. You see, what's interesting to note is that when they were constructing this home for God, it was the only time that the people stopped grumbling. See, salvation has many aspects. When you read in the Bible about salvation and, and being saved, it really talks about it in three tenses. It talks about um, salvation as in I was saved, past tense. The moment that you found Jesus, the moment that you're justified by faith, you know, like that, that, that moment where you're finding Jesus, your past is forgiven, sin is broken, right? That's when you were saved. Then it talks about one day you will be saved, which is really glorification, if you will. And that is when we step from this side of eternity onto the other, into heaven. But then it also talks about while you're here on earth, I mean, think about Philippians 2, 12, 13. It says, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling because it's God's work because it is God who works it in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. It talks about us being saved, which is, you know, your, your continued sanctification. Why do we build? Why, why do we gather? Why do we, 
Why do we serve? Why do we give? Why do we lay down our lives? Because God is shaping us. Because God is saving us. See, that the day you say yes to Jesus, yes, you're on your way to heaven. Yes, you got your ticket. You're on that heaven express. You're on your way on the glory train to heaven. That's, that's great. You, you will step from this side into eternity and you will be saved. But salvation is more than just your spirit. It's holistic. It's what's going on in our lives. It's not just what God does for us that transforms us. It's also what we do for God. See, when it comes to maturity, adulthood, growing up, responsibility, whether it's naturally or spiritual, all of this occurs when we move from just being passive recipients of God's blessings to active participators and creators. See, when I'm challenged to be generous, God, he deals with my greed. When I serve, God deals with my ego. When I join a team and, and, and serve alongside other people, God deals with the rough edges of my character. It's very hard to be servant in isolation. <laughs> you know, you can sit there and go, I am the most generous person ever. And you're like on your own. It's like, how can you, how can you outwork some of the aspects of your character, of your gifting that God has called you to live? being humble, being serving, being generous, being helpful. How can you do that in isolation? You can't. That's the simple answer. We outwork those things in community. You know, we used to have a shirt that said uh, for our team, my, my city, my church. You know, now this shirt says love all, serve all, or here's a serve. You know, but the whole idea is that I take responsibility. I take responsibility for my city. I take responsibility for my church. I mean, that is... That's part of growing up. As parents, we try and teach our children. As you grow in maturity, part of that is you should grow in the same speed in taking responsibility. Take responsibility first and foremost for yourself, you know, self-control. Um, but also taking responsibility for the house, taking responsibility for your family, take responsibility for those around you and at large for society. You know, so we're saying we, this is our church. This is my church. This is my city. You know, that we are growing up. And so when someone, you know, talks about our church, it's not just like, oh, that's the church I go to. Oh, that's Hillsong. You know, that's the church. No, no, it's my church. You know, like you wouldn't talk bad about my wife or my kids in front of me. No, because that's, that's my family. You know, same with church. It's my church. I'm not just a recipient. I'm a participant. I'm helping build this house. I don't just enjoy the blessing of the, the house. I build the home. You know, we live in a world filled with loneliness. We live in a world filled with broken hearts, lack of purpose, lack of peace, lack of identity, lack of freedom. And church is meant to be the physical gathering of God's people where his manifest presence can touch our lives and where real community is built as we continue to mature as believers. We say that our mission statement is a healthy church changing lives through Christ. Jesus said in Matthew 16, 18, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will build my church. That's what my grace is on. My help is on that. So when we join him in that work, we step into that grace. We step into that flow. We are working within, if you will, the algorithm. You know, in the same way you can step out of the flow. No wonder there's so many promises attached to God's house. You know, how, how often do we quote Malachi 3.10 when it comes to the tithe? You know, bring the whole tithe into my storehouse. And see, you know, test me and see if I will not throw open the windows of heaven as I pour out such a blessing. You know the verse. You know, what is that? Well, it's because I'm tapping into that. I'm placing my gift of time. I'm placing my gift of talent. 
I'm placing my gift of treasure in the flow of God's grace, into the flow of God's help, his blessing. That's what his eyes on, his focus is on. That's why I'd rather have 90% of my time, talent, and treasure blessed by God than 100% of my time, talent, and treasure not blessed. But if we get distracted by the blessing of God, that is where the challenge is. And I want to encourage you, be careful when you're satisfied. In life in general, I'm not just talking in church, I'm not just talking in, in you know, your, your spiritual walk, but be careful when you're satisfied. Be careful when you're comfortable. Humans don't do well being comfortable. We weren't made for it. I mean, if you were to look at, at the human race, let's say it goes back 300,000 years or however long it goes back, it's really only been the last 50 to 70 years that humans have finally become comfortable, you know, in certain parts of the world. And you would think that if that was the aim, the humans would be, you know, in better shape, better mental shape, better everything, yet that's not the case. Where humans are the most comfortable, we see, you know, mental and physical health, health ravaging. Now, I know there's a whole bunch of reasons to that in terms of diet and exercise and pollution and you, you name it that I am not qualified uh, to talk about. But the, the, the fact is this, we were made to fight. We were made to hunt. We were made to protect ourselves. We were made to hunt saber-toothed tigers and, you know, chase them away. We were, made, we were made to build and to protect and to serve and to preserve. But we got to remember who blessed us and why. Deuteronomy 8.10, it says, When you have eaten and are satisfied, praise the Lord your God for the good land he's given you. And listen to this. Be careful that you do not forget the Lord your God. Failing to observe his commands, his laws, his decrees that I'm giving you this day, Otherwise, when you eat and are satisfied, and then it says what you could be satisfied with, when you build fine houses, settle down, when your herds and flocks grow large, your silver and gold increase, all you have is multiplied. Then your heart will become proud and you will forget the Lord your God. And then it talks about who their God is, who brought you out of Egypt, the land of slavery, he led you, you know, past the waterless land, the venomous snakes, the scorpions, he brought you water from a hard rock. He says everything that happened in the wilderness. And then it says in verse um, 17, you may say to yourself, my power, my strength, my network, my education, my skills, my talking abilities have produced this wealth for me. I'm self-made millionaire. But remember the Lord your God, because it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth and so confirms his covenant, which he swore to your ancestors as it is today. Just be careful. It's, listen, it's not saying you're not allowed to be be blessed. It's not saying you're not allowed to have fine houses or silver and gold or crypto or whatever you have. It's not saying you're not allowed to have any of that. It's that that's all it's saying. It's saying keep the right perspective. It says remember where it all came from. See, when we forget from where it all comes, we become proud. When we forget why it all came, we become self-centered. Humans so easily forget. I've said it before, but these so-called self-made people are really just people suffering from relational amnesia because our pride blinds us. Our pride blinds us from the love and the help of people along the way. We forget who we are without the grace of God. You know, there's a saying that says, there but by the grace of God go I. And it's widely agreed that the Pentecostal preacher John Bradford was the first to say it or to coin it in 1553, where apparently he saw a group of criminals who were being led to the execution walk by. And then he said out loud, there, but by the grace of God, go I. Meaning, was it not for the grace of God 
I too would have been in that, that mess or I too could have been in that mess. Amazing grace, John Newton sang and wrote. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. See, God wants to bless you. He gives you the ability to create wealth. But be careful, it can deceive you. It can lull you into numb and deep sleep. We know this story. King David, when, he, when kings used to or should have been at war, he stayed home. He got numb. He got, he got lulled into a deep sense of satisfaction. Now, King David, he also had a revelation as he looked around and saw that he was comfortable, that he, had this, that he was living in an amazing palace, but God was still meeting his people in a tent. And he said to the prophet at the time in 2 Samuel 7, 1, he said, after, it says that after the king was settled in his palace, the Lord had given him rest from all his enemies. He said to Nathan the prophet, here I am living in a house of cedar, you know, the finest tree of the time, while the ark of God still remains in a tent. Nathan replied to the king, whatever you have in mind, go ahead and do it. For the Lord is with you and for those who don't know the story, he ends up you know, getting all the supplies together. But because he was a man of war, uh, God, he commissions his son, Samuel, to build it um, because um, David had ha blood on his hands. But he, he started the process of building this temple. And when you remember that you are a trophy of grace, you stay grateful to God and you stay humble towards people. When you remember that you're a trophy of grace, you stay grateful to God and you stay humble towards people. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, 9, I am the least of the apostles. I don't even deserve to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace to me was not without effect. No, I worked harder than all of them. And then he stops himself. I love Paul. He just stops himself. Like, wait, 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 wait. Not I, but the grace of God that was within me. Blessed to be a blessing. Blessed to build. Graced to build. Ephesians 4.11, so Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, the teacher. Why? To equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Now listen, then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by waves and blown here by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in this deceitful scheming. Instead, speak the truth in love. We will grow to become in every respect a mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. From him, the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Man, that's such a powerful, such a powerful verses here. Ephesians 4, 11 to 16. You know, it talks about maturity. And as we become mature, we are building this body. We're building this church up. You know, one, one, one way is to figure out whether maturity is growing in your life is how easy it is for you to be thrown here and there. How easy do you get thrown by a comment? How easy do you get thrown in your confidence by something that happens in your life? See, storms come to all of us. Jesus promised this in John 16, 33. He says, in this world, you will have trouble, you know, but don't lose heart because I've overcome the world. We understand in this world, there will be trouble. There will be storms. There will be attacks. It's part of life, yeah? Our responsibility as, as we become mature is not to be thrown by it. You know, the first time your kids get a negative comment in, school, in the schoolyard, they're sad, you know, they're upset. And what do you do? You sit down, you try and explain. 
you know, our youngest, she was saying to me this morning, it's like, well, bullies, you know, they're just people who've been bullied themselves and that's why they bully others. And it's like, yeah, exactly right. What's going on? There's maturity going on in their life. You know, there's some, that, that it's understanding perspectives, you know, and so, so, so you're not getting thrown by comments later on. One part of maturity is understanding, you know, having that, having anchor in your world and having anchor in your life. At the moment, we are, my wife and I, we're trying to get some work done in our house and we had a, we had a crew come in and a builder come in and do some stuff. And to be honest, it wasn't very nice. <laughs> I don't know what went wrong. Um, we were out and we, we had been on a, a, a trip and we had been on a holiday. And so we decided, okay, that's the time to do it. We saved up for a long time and, and, and all this stuff. And then the, when we finally came in, we were like, oh my gosh, what happened? So we called the guy over, you know, to, to check on his, on his staff and his guys, what they'd done. He was horrified. Which made us happy because like, okay, it's not just us. And then he said this statement that just really got me. He said, sometimes our workers forget that this might be our workplace, but it's someone else's home. Sometimes we forget this might be our workplace, but it's someone else's home. And seriously, when I, when I heard that, it just hit me so deep because it just made me so sorry for all the times we could have done better. I'm talking about those of us who work for church, those of us who are pastors, those of us who are leaders in the church. We could have done better and we can do better. You know, I think sometimes we have at times treated church like a workplace or worse yet, maybe a hobby. You know, not just one person, but like all of us. And it's, we don't, I don't think anyone's ever treated with contempt, but maybe with a bit of carelessness. Because this home we're building together it's not just a workplace. It's not just a place that we go on a Sunday as a hobby. The home we're building together is God's home, first and foremost. That in itself should bring some a level of weight, you know, a, a, a level of we've got to make sure we steward this well. This is God's home we're building. It's his home. He's opened it and let us build his home. And second of all, the home we're building is someone else's home. This is a place that we open up for people that to welcome home. Acts 2, 42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, and to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. I mean, that's, that's as simple as it gets. Love God, love people. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. And all the believers were together, had everything in common. They sold property, they sold possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together. In the temple courts, they broke bread in their homes. They ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Church, as we are, you know, really finding ourselves in this post-pandemic world, I, I, I just wonder, what if, what if we all started afresh? What if we all looked inward, every single one of us, from leaders to volunteers to just people within our church? What if we all looked inward and just asked ourselves, how can I step into this flow and build what Jesus is building? I think if all of us could ask ourselves, how can I offer my time? How can I offer my talent? How can I offer my treasure in order to build what God is building? Provision for the vision. Provision. Taking the vision forward doesn't mean all your time doesn't mean all your talent doesn't mean all your treasure but all of us can do something and so i want to just encourage you as you whoever you are listening to this 
to really prayerfully consider. And if you're married, you're in a family, to do it as a family and ask ourselves this next season, how will it be reflected in our time, talent, and treasure that we are building this home together? Thank you for listening. God bless you. Thank you for listening to This Is Us podcast. Whether you listen to them as an individual or as a team, we hope that they add value to you. Make sure to click follow or subscribe so you don't miss any episodes. Thank you for joining us. We are who we are. This is us.